start with our chanting and then go into a little bit of silent meditation. Let's cultivate our motivation. Compassion, meaning the aspiration to liberate sentient beings from suffering or just the wish for them not to be stuck in samsara's dukkha, whether it's individual pain from this life or just the third kind of dukkha, all-pervasive conditioning one. But that kind of compassion really lies at the base of all of our practices. And so it's quite important to cultivate it. It's the base of, forget about, if you forget about Dharma practice, just the basis of having a happy life. Because if we aren't compassionate, if we don't wish others well, and we go around harming them, then we're going to wind up being pretty miserable everybody will uh, walk away when they see us. And so compassion is what really helps us connect with other living beings. And as human beings, we find a lot of meaning and purpose in our lives in relationship to others. This doesn't mean we always have to run around and be involved with others. But so much of our life depends on other living beings and on creating good relationships with them. And compassion is involved in all of that. So compassion is not some kind of wimpy thing. That just means you're such a sweet, lovely person. No, compassion means that you're really looking out for others' benefit, even when they may be confused about what benefits them and what harms them. So that compassion has to be courageous and has to be willing to bear difficulties 
and has to really care about others. So take a moment, try and cultivate that in your own heart. Think of their kindness, think of the connections, and so on. And then based on that compassion, generate the bodhicitta mind that wants to attain full awakening so that we can act with pure compassion in a wise way that will really benefit living beings and lead them out of samsara. You know, it's just sometimes because compassion comes uh, in the section of the long room for the advanced practitioners, comes in terms of developing bodhicitta. Sometimes we think, oh, well, it's a very advanced practice, so I'm just a beginner, so it's fine if I'm selfish. Uh, I'll get to that thing of compassion later on. Actually, <laughs> you know, uh, really, if we're going to live in this world in a peaceful way, in a happy way, we have to care about the beings around us because our life depends on them. Yeah? And because they're exactly like us, wanting happiness and not suffering. So we often think of uh, ethical conduct as kind of the foundation practice because what do we do when we take refuge? What's the first thing the Buddha says? Five lay precepts, follow those. When we think of the, the three higher trainings, ethical conduct, uh, concentration, wisdom, ethical conducts first. And we see ethical conduct as a foundation for concentration, concentration as a foundation for wisdom. But actually, what is going to give us the impetus to, to have ethical conduct, the first of the three higher trainings? Okay. Now, you could say for some people, it's uh, 
it could be fear-based, hearing about the three lower realms and not wanting to get born there, and so uh, having a strong determination not to create the causes for that kind of rebirth. So for some people, it may be like that. I don't know how well fear-based things work in the long term for people, you know. Uh, but if you look at it another way, yeah, instead of fear of horrible results motivating your ethical conduct, what about compassion motivating your ethical conduct? Yeah, because what is ethical conduct? It's, you know, the, the wish not to harm others. And it's the practice of abandoning harm other, harming others. So isn't compassion a good reason to stop harming others? Yeah. So instead of uh, having concern about the eight world, we not instead, but in addition to having concern about lower rebirth, what about really emphasizing compassion in our practice as a reason to keep good ethical conduct? No. And then get good ethical conduct. You know, through that we abandon creating negative karma. We create a lot of positive karma. And then that really, you know, acts as the base for further realization, further understandings on the path. So what we're getting at is all these kinds of things are really interrelated. Yeah. And, uh, in the Lam Rim, there's an outline, you know, and there's the, th the three um, levels of beings, and then there's each uh, uh, level, kind of what they don't want, uh, what they do, what they're looking for, and what practice they do to avoid what they don't want and create the cause for whatever they're looking for in their practice. So that's all laid out. And... Um, and we hear, oh yeah, it's it's an order of of practicing. So sometimes we may get the wrong idea that, oh, I have to just practice these one by one. Master the first one before I go to the second one. Okay. And there is one way of teaching Lamrim where they teach one topic, and then they wait for the disciple to get a realization of it, and then they teach the next topic. Yeah, uh, but what we find, that is one way to do it, but what we're finding more and more with our teachers is they're teaching everything together, and that helps us understand the path and where different topics and meditations go, and if we really think deeply about these things, then we start to see connections that between different topics that are not in the order presented in the Lam Rim. Okay. For example, compassion as a motivation for learning about karma and, uh, and, um, you know, having ethical conduct. Yeah. 
It, it, it isn't taught like that in the long run. Compassion comes much later. But, you know, for many people, compassion really works much better as the, you know, the, the motivating thing to create ethical conduct. Yeah, you're getting what I mean? So think about it a little bit, yeah? How these things fit together. And I think, or at least my experience has been the really good teachers, like His Holiness, they can take many disparate topics and weave them together. And all of a sudden you see connections that seem as obvious as daylight when it's daylight outside, but that you never saw before. And you're going, duh. But, you know, here, one simple explanation, you go, oh, yeah, that is really how it is. Yeah. So I think for, you know, I wanted to bring up this thing about uh, compassion, looking at it in that way. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about Buddha nature in general, okay? And uh, we went through the uh, the way it it's, it's there's not really the term Buddha nature for the Vivasakas and the Satantrakas, but we went through the criteria that they say are uh, indications that somebody is uh, practicing well and is creating the cause for liberation. Then we got to the Cheetah Mandarins where they really started using that term. And of course, um, you know, because Cheetah Mandarins is so, they talk so much about latencies, then, you know, they really talk about the Buddha nature being latencies, yeah. And first is the the latency that is not ripened, and then then comes the latency that is ripened, and that's what you know leads you ahead on the path. Okay, and then uh, we got to the Madhyamaka. Okay, and so here we were talking about the two kinds of Buddha nature the naturally abiding Buddha nature, which is the emptiness of the uh, mind, uh, the mind that has not yet uh, gained the realizations of the path. And so that's the emptiness. It's a permanent phenomena. And then we talked about the um, trans, uh, evolving, did it, we call it evolving? Trans, transforming. Yeah, transforming, it could be also called evolving Buddha nature, which is anything, uh, any functioning thing, any impermanent phenomena in our continuum that can progress uh, to full awakening. Okay, so... Uh, you know, somebody says, well, what about a mind that's angry? Okay, so you have a mind that's angry, you have a primary mental consciousness, yeah, you have the five uh, omnipresent factors, you have 
um, a mental factor of anger. Okay. You might have mental factors of wrong views, thinking that your anger is good and correct and justified. Okay. So that's one mental state. Now, can that mental state go to full awakening? No, why not? Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Okay, so those mental states can be purified. Yeah, and they are purified. They do not, uh, they do, the, uh, those mental states, their continuum is cut. They cannot go on to awakening because uh, no Buddhas have a mind of anger and revenge and, and these kinds of things. Okay, so because those mental states need to be abandoned, they aren't the um, transforming Buddha nature. Now, what about if you look and you say, just the uh, clarity and knowing of that mental state? In other words, not the whole mental state, but just the clarity and knowing, because remember, every mental state has, you know, clarity and knowing. What about that? Can that go to awakening? Yeah. Okay, it can go to awakening, but not as long as the afflictions are still part of it. Okay? So if you purify the mind with those afflictions, you apply the antidotes and the afflictions stop, then you can talk about just the clarity of that mind going on to awakening. But you cannot say the mental state of anger, which has clarity and awareness, goes on to, to awakening. Okay, you seeing the difference here? Okay, so I'm just going to read two paragraphs from last time. So, in short, any neutral or virtuous mind that is not free from defilement and can transform into a Buddha's wisdom dharmakaya as part of the transforming Buddha nature. Mental consciousnesses accompanied by manifest afflictions cannot be transforming Buddha nature because they are eliminated on the path. That's the point that we just came to. A neutral or virtuous, uh, as neutral or virtuous states of mind, the transforming Buddha nature consists of impermanent phenomena as the emptiness of the mind, the naturally abiding Buddha nature is permanent. These two Buddha natures are one nature. Okay, so we're going to get into what does it mean for things being one nature. Although they are not exactly the same, yeah, the mind and the emptiness of the mind are not the same, one cannot exist without the other. So you can't have 
natural abiding Buddha nature without having a mind, you know, that is the transforming Buddha nature. Why? Because every conventional phenomena, in this case it would be the transforming Buddha nature, every conventional phenomena is empty of inherent existence and so is one nature with its own emptiness, which is a permanent phenomenon. Okay? So only the emptiness of neutral and virtuous consciousnesses can be the naturally abiding Buddha nature because only the neutral or virtuous consciousnesses that are their bases are the transforming Buddha nature. Okay? So because the afflictions are empty of inherent existence, awakening is possible. Okay, so not just because the mind is empty, but here particularly because the afflictions are empty. However, okay, oh, well, why are, are the afflictions, uh, why is it good that the afflictions are empty? Why is it, because they're empty, that awakening is possible. Yeah, they can be eliminated by their antidotes. Mm -hmm. If they were inherently existent, yeah, anything that exists inherently must be permanent. Yeah, if the afflictions were permanent, they could not be eliminated. There would be no antidote to cut them off. Okay. Yeah, so before, because the uh, afflictions are empty of inherent existence, awakening is possible. However, the emptiness of the afflictions is not Buddha nature. Since the afflictions are eliminated on the path and cannot be transformed into any of the Buddha's bodies, their emptinesses will similarly cease and cannot be uh, cannot become the nature truth body, because when those afflictive minds cease, their emptiness also ceases at the same time. Oh, and here's something interesting. Some people speak of inanimate phenomena, rocks, trees, and so forth, as having Buddha nature. Okay, you hear this, and, you know, some teachers talk about it. You know, the rocks have Buddha nature, the trees have Buddha nature, and so on. Okay, um, what would our system say about that? No. Why not? One person, they don't have mind, yeah. Why do you need to have mind to uh, have Buddha nature? Because that's what transforms. <laughs> yeah, because that is what is going to transform into a Buddha's Dharmakaya. Okay, so the table doesn't have a consciousness that can transform into the Buddha's dharmakaya. Okay. But His Holiness has heard people say this. 
he doesn't like to like shoot somebody down directly. Okay. It depends who he's talking to. You know, if he's talking to his students, boing. But if he's talking to the other people, he's much more tactful. So he says, I believe that those people who think of inanimate phenomena as having a Buddha nature, I believe that they are referring to the fact that these phenomena are empty of inherent existence. Only sentient beings have Buddha nature, that we can generate the determination to be free from samsara, but echita and wisdom indicates that the Buddha nature is within us. Because inanimate phenomena lack mind, they cannot generate these virtuous mental states and do not possess Buddha nature. Okay, But he gave these people an out saying, what I think they mean is that you know, the, the table is empty of inherent existence and the, so is the tree and so is that verti block that they're putting there and so are those twisties that are up on the, um, up on the, the upper meadow. Someone may wonder, since the emptiness of the mind of a sentient being and the emptiness of the mind of a Buddha are the same in being the emptiness of inherent existence. Does that mean that sentient beings already have the qualities of Buddhas or that they are, are already Buddhas? In other words, because the uh, ultimate nature of a sentient being's mind is the emptiness of inherent existence, and that em emptiness is also the ultimate nature of a Buddhist mind. So since those two minds are the same, doesn't mean that sentient beings are already Buddhas. They have that empty nature of the mind. Okay, no. Okay, so His Holiness says, no, it doesn't. Um, you Again, you will find sometimes people who will say, uh, we are Buddhas. And you will see sometimes in texts, I mean, a quotation is coming up that says this. And you'll remember that um, a few weeks ago in class, we were talking about how you can have a verse from a text, but you need commentary to understand what it really means. So this is an example uh, it's coming up on the next page of why we need the commentary when we, uh, you know, to understand when the Buddha says that uh, sentient beings are Buddhas. Yeah, because you can't, I mean, can you be both? You know, why can't you be both? Even though they have the emptiness of inherent nature as the common theme, the mind of a sentient being under the control of afflictions and self-grasping and crazy and defiled is nothing like the mind of a Buddha that has had all good qualities perfected and the defilements are long gone. So that there's no similarity there whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So that mean that uh, sentient beings already have the qualities of Buddha or that they are already Buddhas? No, it does not, because the minds that possess that emptiness differ. 
The emptiness is the same, but the two minds, as you pointed out, are quite different. Yeah, one is very polluted, the other is purified. Okay, Tsongkhapa explains in Illumination of the Thought, okay, here's a quote, it is said the Buddha nature is that which serves as the cause of Arya's qualities when observed. Thus, here are the absurd consequence that all sentient beings would have the qualities of Arya's is not entailed. Okay. The mere presence of the nature of phenomena, the Dharmadhatu, does not mean that one abides in the Buddha nature in terms of the path. So having the emptiness of the, of the mind does not mean you realize the emptiness of the mind. Okay. So that emptiness of the mind of a sentient being is the naturally abiding Buddha nature, but do we realize it? No, we don't. <laughs> okay. So this is a big difference. When one observes and meditates on the nature of phenomena through the path, it comes to serve as the special cause of Arya's qualities. At that time, one's Buddha nature is regarded as special. Okay, so it starts out, the Buddha nature is that which serves as the cause of Arya's qualities when observed. Hmm, what's being, what's being observed? Emptiness. Okay, so when we observe emptiness, that wisdom mind become, serves as the cause for Arya's qualities. Okay. Thus, here the absurd consequence that all sentient beings would have the, the qualities of Arya's is not entailed. So just because sentient beings have the emptiness of the mind that can be realized and that can generate Arya's qualities does not mean that sentient beings have Arya's qualities right now. Okay, we have to realize emptiness to, uh, to get them. Okay, the mere presence of the nature of phenomena, which is emptiness, well, phenomena, here's the dharmadhatu, but the nature is emptiness, does not mean that one abides in the Buddha nature in terms of the path. So when it talks about the path, it's talking about a wisdom consciousness that knows emptiness. So the mere presence of emptiness, which is the nature of phenomena, does not mean that sentient beings have realized it and thus abide in the Buddha nature in terms of the path. Yeah, is that clear? It doesn't mean that you're, you know, you've realized the path of seeing simply because you have the emptiness as your, as your naturally abiding Buddha nature. When one observes and meditates on the nature of phenomena through the path, when we 
uh, observe and meditate on emptiness through the path wisdom, okay, it comes to serve as the special cause of Arya's qualities. Because at that time, when we have the path wisdom and we realize emptiness directly, then that wisdom mind is going to be the a special cause for the other uh, um, qualities of an Arya. And it's that mind that will, you know, go through to full awakening. Okay, you got it? Okay. Um, at that time, one's Buddha nature is regarded as special. So just having the Buddha nature in terms of the emptiness of the mind doesn't make the Buddha, that Buddha nature special. It's only when it's realized by a wisdom mind that is a path. Okay. So emptiness is the quote, quote, cause of the wonderful qualities of Arya's. Hmm. Really? What do you think of that sentence? Why not? Yeah, it can't be a cause. Okay. Hmm. So what does it mean when some of the texts say emptiness is the cause of the wonderful qualities of Arya's? See, this is another example of the text says this, but that doesn't make sense because emptiness is permanent. Okay. Okay. So when we perceive it directly, it becomes the cause of the wonderful qualities of Arya's when we perceive it directly and use that realization to cleanse our minds of defilements. So again, when emptiness is the object, the mind is the subject that realizes that, Yeah, then that realization becomes the cause of the qualities of the Arya. Arius, not the emptiness. It's the mind that realizes it. Okay. So you see that there, there, there's so much emphasis here about, well, the mind as a permanent thing and it being one nature as its own emptiness. But you can't just say, because your mind's empty, that you're Buddha or that you you know you're an arya because you've realized that emptiness in other words there's lots of things about ourselves that we have no idea of <laughs> yeah so when you get in a mood and you think you're a know-it-all then you know just kind of say okay do i know do i know the ultimate nature of my own mind I've had that ultimate nature since beginningless time. It hasn't gone anywhere. Do I know it? Uh, why not? Is it just that there's too much garbage in the mind? Buddha started out with too much garbage in his mind. Huh? Yeah, lazy. We don't use our mind to eliminate that garbage. 
We just kind of go along with it, you know? Yeah, my anger is really justified. Look at how that person treats me. That's really wrong. You know, it is rude. It's inconsiderate. Nobody would agree with that behavior. So my anger is justified. Because it's so clear that person is wrong and I am right. Right? Yeah. And we completely believe that. Yeah. I swear allegiance to my anger. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way we are. Okay. The emptiness uh, of inherent existence of our minds is a permanent phenomenon. It does not change moment by moment as do conditioned phenomena. While emptiness in general is eternal, when we speak about the emptiness of a specific thing, that emptiness may not always exist. So eternal means that it is always existing. Okay, but that doesn't mean that every em the emptiness of any object is uh, always existing. Why not? Because what? Yeah, the the conventional object can be destroyed. Yeah, go out of existence. For example, the emptiness of a glass ceases when that glass shatters. An emptiness is posited in relation to an object that is empty. It is one nature with that object. The emptiness of the mind exists in dependence on the mind. So the emptiness is permanent, but it exists in dependence on the mind because you can't just have emptiness without it being the emptiness of inherent existence of something. Yeah. The emptiness of an ordinary being's mind exists as long as that ordinary being does. Because the mind has defilements, its emptiness is together with defilements. We went through this before, you know, remember. When portions of the mind's defilements have been removed by the true path, the mind becomes an Arya's mind, and its emptiness is the emptiness of an Arya's mind. When ordinary beings realize emptiness directly and become Arya's, the emptiness of the ordinary being's mind no longer exists. So it does not transform into the emptiness of Buddha's mind, because transform indicates that something's impermanent. Okay, so the emptiness of that ordinary being's mind ceases. Yeah, it no longer exists. And now there is the emptiness of an Arya's mind. These two emptinesses are both the absence of inherent existence. And to an Arya's mind meditative equipoise on emptiness, they are undifferentiable. Okay? Because when you perceive directly the emptiness of one phenomena, you can, you perceive directly the emptiness of all phenomena. Okay?
So, yeah, both those emptiness from the perspective of an Aryan meditative equipoise, they can't tell the difference. Yeah. While it is true that sentient beings' minds are empty of inherent existence, and that and that defilements are adventitious, we cannot say that sentient beings' Buddha nature is the same as a Buddha's nature truth body that has the twofold purity. Uh-oh, here, not uh-oh, but yippee. Here's the difference between an, a, uh, the emptiness of an ordinary being's mind and the emptiness of a, of a, a Buddha's mind. Okay. So one, one way to say it is that, uh, the minds that they are the emptiness of are different. Okay. Another reason to say it, way to say it is that the nature of truth body itself as emptiness is different from a sentient being's, uh, the emptiness of a sentient being's mind. Okay. Because the, um, Buddha's nature truth body has a twofold purity. It's naturally pure of inherently existence, of inherent existence, because all phenomena lack inherent existence. So it was not once that it was inherently existent, and then, you know, the wicked witch, uh, said something and became inherently existent. Okay. It's always been empty. Okay. So that, is called, um, you know, the natural, the naturally, it's being naturally pure of inherent existence. And that emptiness of a Buddha is being newly purified of all adventitious defilements. So when it was the emptiness of the mind of an ordinary sentient being, it wasn't purified of adventitious defilements. Now that emptiness is newly purified of those adventitious defilements. So in that way, you can see from another perspective of looking at it, how the emptiness of the mind of an ordinary being and the emptiness of mind of a, of a Buddha are different. Okay, you're going to have to go back and think a little bit about this. Okay, uh, this is because sentient beings' um, minds are still together with defilements. No matter in which realm a sentient being abides, the naturally abiding Buddha nature is always there. So even in the hell realm, hungry ghosts, animals, you know, all the stink bugs that are coming out these days, yeah, the grasshoppers, the uh, you know the politicians, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all sentient beings, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. So no matter in what which realm a sentient being abides, the naturally abiding Buddha nature is always there. So that's important, you know. If our mind starts getting really negative about somebody, oh, look at this person, look how they behave. They're totally corrupt. There's nothing good about them. They're 
they're just pure evil. We should burn them at the stake or, you know, or in the oven or get rid of them somehow. Yeah, that kind of attitude, no. You know, if you philosophically adhere to what the Buddha said, if that's what makes sense to you, we cannot kick any sentient being out of our compassion. And we cannot say, and every, some person is inherently evil, and we should just kill them or get rid of them or ignore them or, uh, oh, what's the new word? They're toxic. So just, yeah, we, we can't do that. They have the Buddha nature. Yeah, they have that potential. And nothing can take that potential away from them no matter how much we dislike them. Yeah. So it's it's a good reason to look at our judgmental mind and maybe question its accuracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was reading something today, uh, an analysis of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And the writer, uh, the author, said it is what is happening is pure evil yeah he said just short sentence this is pure evil what does that mean how can you say you know well maybe somebody's actions are very negative can you say a person is pure evil? Yeah. If we can say it about others, well, you know, there's some people that may think that about us. Yeah. We can't say that. So this is a way in which we have to be very different from the world. The world, you know generates these kinds of categories, puts people in a category, and that's all they are. And as practitioners, we have to be different than that. That doesn't mean I don't have the Buddha nature just because I can't keep track of the pages that I'm reading. <laughs> no matter which realm the sentient being abides, the naturally Buddha a naturally abiding Buddha nature is always there. It does not decrease or increase. Okay? Gold may be buried in the ground for centuries, but it is still gold, and it is always possible to access it. And we're going to come soon to some similes for the Tathagata uh, Garbha and, uh, and talk about about this, yeah. Some of the similes happen to be like that. The gold may be covered with dirt, but it does not become dirt. If dirt were its nature, it could never become clean. This is so important to remember when we get really self-critical. Yeah. Why are we being so self-critical? We have the Buddha nature, the gold. It may be covered with dirt, but that it does not become dirt. If dirt were its nature, 
it could never become clean, in which case we really are that horrible person that we think we are at that moment. Yeah. And if, if that is true, then we cannot change from that. And so then we can never have a happy mind. We always have to be angry and self-critical and blah, blah, blah all the time because it's permanent. That's the way it feels when we get in that mental state, doesn't it? And that shows us very clearly why that mental state is erroneous and why we should not let our mind linger in it. If dirt were its nature, it could never become clean. But because the dirt only obscures it, the gold can be cleansed so that its natural radiance can be seen. Similarly, the emptiness of our defiled mind is always there. When we realize emptiness, that wisdom cleanses the defilements from our minds. And in doing so, the emptiness of our minds will also be cleansed. Even though our minds have always been naturally pure of inherent existence, at that time, we will have the additional purity of being free from all adventitious defilements. So that's that second quality of uh, the emptiness of a Buddha's mind. Okay. Without the two kinds of Buddha nature, there would be no way for the awakened activities of the Buddha to enter into us. If we didn't have the Buddha nature, you know, the awakened activities of the Buddha, what Buddhas do to try and guide us, if we didn't have the, that uh, Buddha nature, what, the Buddha's enlightened activities couldn't affect us at all. It would be like sending out, the Buddha would be like, like a radio station sending out all the waves, but our minds, the wave, the uh, channel is turned off. Our, okay, our minds would not be receptive to the Buddha's influence, I have the hiccups, or to the teachings. Nothing in our minds could germinate by coming into contact with these. <laughs> you just keep going. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Buddha nature is the basis of cultivation of the Mahayana. It is what enables our minds to be affected and transformed by the teachings. The fact that the Buddha taught the Dharma indicates that sentient beings have the potential to become Buddhas. If, if it didn't, it would have been useless for the Buddha to have delivered 84,000 teachings. Yeah, if we didn't have the Buddha nature... Why would the Buddha give all those teachings? Because no would be receptive to it. Yeah. If we didn't have the Buddha nature, why would that Bodhisattva have even bothered to become a Buddha? Because being a Buddha would be useless. Yeah, because what 
what is a Buddha supposed to do? Benefit sentient beings and lead them on the path. But the sentient beings are like, you know, concrete blocks and you can't get anything in. They don't have the Buddha nature. So, well, why should I bother at attaining Buddhahood? Mm-hmm. It, it's like, I mean, there's, you come, you see that argument a lot in different areas, you know, like, yeah, that if such and such were the case, then there would be no need to practice the path. You know, like if, if phenomena were inherently existent, there would be no need to practice the path. Yeah. If sentient beings didn't have the Buddha nature, why did the Buddha put forth, put out so much energy to attain awakening? Yeah. He could have retired to Bali and, you know. <laughs> His Holiness often says, sometimes when I think of Buddhahood, I think, oh, then I'll be able to rest and have a good sleep. You know, I, I, I don't think that uh, that's actually what's going to happen. I hope not. Okay, now Buddha nature according to Tantra. Highest Yoga Tantra points to Buddha nature in a unique way. It is the subtlest mind wind that is empty of inherent existence and whose continuity goes on to awakening. So here it isn't just the consciousness that goes on to awakening. It's the subtlest consciousness, and it's what they say, it's mount the subtlest wind. All sentient beings have this subtlest mind wind. In ordinary beings, it becomes manifest only at the time of the clear light of death and goes unnoticed. Okay. So in the Sutrayana view, the way we look at the mind, we're, it does talk about different levels of mind that range from subtle to coarse. Okay? But the way Tantrayana talks about the mind ranging from subtle to coarse is different. Yeah, First of all, because Tantra identifies a mind that is much subtler than the mind that sutra identifies, okay? Um, so in sutra, for example, we would say a subtle mind would be the mind of uh, a Buddha or an Arya in meditative equipoise on emptiness, yeah? In tantrayana, we'd say, yeah, that's a good mind to have. But it's not the the subtlest mind and you really want especially the subtlest mind to realize emptiness otherwise how are you going to uh purify all the defilements from the mind if the the how will you do, purify and f- cleanse the mind of the subtlest defilements of the mind if you can't access the subtlest mind and use it to realize emptiness. 
Yeah. So this is a really important, unique quality of Tantra that it it focuses on this the uh, subtlest mind. Now, the subtlest mind is one nature with what is called the subtlest win. Okay, so here we have this one nature thing again. Yeah, here the subtlest win does not mean emptiness. It's, uh, they talk about, in Tantra, you talk about different uh, energies in the body. You know, they're called very often energy winds or just the winds, yeah. And so there's very gross energies in the body, for example, with our gross senses, you know, the the wind that works with the uh the visual consciousness or the ordinary auditory consciousness or something like that, that's going to be very gross because consciousness is gross. The wind is also. And when, when we die, those consciousnesses cease and the wind that supports them, you know, likewise isn't active. Um, but in Tantra, yeah, all those other coarser minds cease and you are left with this extremely this subtlest mind that is one nature with its own wind okay and so that is what when that manifests when in the dying process that is the actual moment of death and then when that subtlest mind went, leaves the body of the sentient being, then it goes into the bardo. Yeah, there's different kinds of mind There's and different levels of mind, different kinds of winds, different levels of winds. Okay? So all sentient beings have this subtlest mind wind. Okay? So because at the time of death, yeah, all the coarser winds have have dissolved. All the coarser um, minds have dissolved, and you're left with only the mind wind, the subtlest mind wind. Okay, so all sentient beings have this. It's sometimes called the fundamental innate mind of clear light. It's another name for it. Okay. In ordinary beings, this mind becomes manifest only at the time of the clear light of death and goes unnoticed. Yeah, so you dissolve, all the winds and minds dissolve. You have the, the, man, uh, the subtlest mind wind manifest because before it wasn't manifest when the gross minds and winds are operating, the subtlest one is not manifest according to, to this way. There's other people who say it is, but here we're saying it's not. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's not there. The only time it manifests is at that moment of death, right before it leaves the present body and goes into the bardo. But, you know, people's minds are so spaced out that even though that mind manifests, they can't make use of it. You know, they don't, they don't even notice that it's there. 
While the subtlest mind win is neutral in the case of ordinary beings, through special yogic practices it can be brought into the path and transformed into a virtuous state, a yogic state. Sentient being's subtlest mind serves as the substantial cause for the wisdom dharmakaya, the omniscient mind of a Buddha, and the true cessation and emptiness of a Buddha's mind is the nature dharmakaya. The subtlest wind that is its mount is the substantial cause for the form bodies of a Buddha, the enjoyment and emanation bodies. So this explanation in Tantra, we're just seeing it in a very general way. But it really shows us exactly how awakening is possible. What part of what we have now can become some part of a Buddha. Okay. So let to go over that again, yeah. Because you know, sometimes you hear about Buddhahood and this and that and the ten the ten grounds, and then you go, Yeah, that sounds good, but how do how do I get there? You know, besides meditating on emptiness and bodhicitta, how does that work? What is the mechanism for me being able to uh, to manifest all the bodies of a Buddha. How do you know what becomes what? Okay, so okay, so when the the subtlest mind is manifest and it's brought into the path and used to realize emptiness, it transforms into a virtuous mind. Okay. So sentient being's subtlest mind serves as the substantial cause for the wisdom dharmakaya. So substantial cause is the main thing that becomes the result. Like the substantial cause of the table is the wood. Yeah, the nails are a condition, but they aren't the substantial cause because you could have a pile of nails and nobody's going to think to make a table. Okay, so the the mind, that subtlest mind that realizes emptiness, becomes the substantial cause, the thing that transforms into the wisdom dharmakaya. So the wisdom dharmakaya, is it permanent or impermanent? Impermanent. Okay, it's a consciousness. It's the omniscient mind of a Buddha. Okay. And the true cessation and emptiness of a Buddha's mind is the nature dharmakaya. Okay? So we can see because as ordinary beings we have the naturally abiding Buddha nature, then we can also get the nature dharmakaya. The subtlest wind that is uh, the mount is of of uh, you know the arya being at the end of the path is the substantial cause for the form bodies of the buddha so the wind is related to subtle form okay and even gross form in this sense 
that the wind that is one nature with that ex- uh, subtlest clear light mind, that wind is the substantial cause, what actually becomes the enjoyment body of a Buddha and the emanation body of a Buddha. So the enjoyment body, yeah, is the form that the Buddha takes when teaching aryas, and the emanation body is the form that Buddhists take when they're teaching ordinary beings. Mm -hmm. Does that make you kind of go, wow? It makes me go, wow. Like, wow, oh, this is how ordinary beings can connect. And, you know, things we have become the substantial cause for things that the Buddha have. Oh, yeah. Then the Havadra Tantra says, sentient beings are just Buddhas, but they are defiled by adventitious stains. When these are removed, they are Buddhas. So the first line, sentient beings are just Buddhas. Yeah, is that to be taken literally? No. But if you aren't attuned to how things can be read and from different perspectives, oh, well, the Buddha said sentient beings are just Buddhas. So I'm a Buddha. But they're defiled by adventitious stains. Oh, then that means I'm an ignorant Buddha. Uh, how does that work? What is an ignorant Buddha? Is there such a thing as an ignorant Buddha? No. Okay. When these adventitious stains are removed, then the sentient beings become Buddhas. Okay. The first line indicates that sentient beings have the substantial cause for Buddhahood, the subtlest mind wind. It does not mean that sentient beings are Buddhas because someone cannot be both a sentient being and a Buddha simultaneously. We could try. Yeah, I know lots of people, they want to have their samsara and their nirvana at the same time. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, except samsaric happiness and nirvanic happiness are very different. So why would in the world would I be, would I want to have them at the same time? Because I'm ignorant. (laughs) Okay. Through the practice of special techniques in the highest yoga tantra, the continuum of the subtlest mind wind can be purified and transformed into the three bodies of a Buddha. Okay. So remember that wind mind, uh, they are one nature. So they cannot be separated. They're always together. Okay, so time for a few questions. So in the conversation about the clear light mind, um, the subtlest mind becoming manifest at death, Mm -hmm. but that it goes unnoticed, Mm -hmm. what comes to my mind are like the mental factors 
that idea of, okay, you know, a mind is paying attention to something, but does the subtlest clear light mind have, you know, it doesn't make sense to talk about mental factors with it. So what is doing the noticing? <laughs> um, yeah, there's been some discussion about that. If I remember the five omnipresent, you can say that it has. But certainly, when the mind is that subtle, they do not function in the same way as they function when the gross mind is operating. I mean, the gross mind is looking at this and didn't like the mental factor of discrimination. It's pink, it's hard, it's made of this material. It, da, 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 da. The, the subtlest clear light mind is, it's non-conceptual. Yeah, in, in Buddhas. Yeah, in sentient beings, it's said to be conceptual, but that doesn't mean the word non-conceptual has different meanings. So it doesn't always mean thinking. It just means, in this case, obscured. So because the mind is obscured, it has all these latencies on it. Yeah, then it, it cannot see the, its own emptiness directly. Yeah, it's, and it's obscured. It's like, you know, yeah. Our mind is obscured a lot during the day. Are we aware of it? Yeah. When you fall asleep, are you aware of being asleep? Are you aware of having a mind at that time? When ordinary beings realize emptiness directly become ours. So the ordinary being's mind no longer exists. Now it is the emptiness of an Arya's mind. So even though it is an impermanent phenomenon that has a continuity that's changing moment by moment, it changes sufficiently enough that the basis of designation is labeled differently. Yeah. Therefore, the emptiness of the, that object is a different emptiness. Yeah. And so in the course of the day, when we have a, a, our, during our day, the emptiness of our mind on any given moment is different than the emptiness of the previous moment. So the more that we grow our good qualities, that mind becomes, the base of de designation doesn't become more virtuous and that the emptiness is the emptiness of a more virtuous mind? I mean, is, is this something we can kind of count on that we're doing, you know? <laughs> or is it like in a moment when we realize emptiness, the, the sentient being mind is gone, is ceased? I mean, the, the emptiness of it, not the mind, but the emptiness of it. Say that last part again. That the emptiness of the sentient being's mind has ceased. Yeah. But the continuity of the mind that has transformed him to Arya's mind is, is a continuity. It hasn't, doesn't, right. you know. Because the mind is impermanent. So there is a continuity between a sentient being's mind and a Buddha's mind. Okay. What, because they're both clear and knowing and at the base in, in both the sentient being and the Buddha, there's this subtlest clear light mind. Yeah. So those connect there, but the afflictions do not connect because they're being, they can, they are adventitious. They are not in the, either the ultimate or the conventional nature of the mind. Okay. So when it says that it ceases, it sounds rather uh, absolute. Uh, the, what, the, the, that the sentient being's mind no longer exists. Yeah, because that's, that being is no longer a sentient being. They are a Buddha. 
And you can't be a Buddha and, this, and a sentient being at the same time. Okay. So in order to become a Buddha, yeah, the sentient being's mind ceases. That doesn't mean the continuity of the mind ceases, right? Of that mind ceases. Okay. okay. Because that wisdom mind becomes the, or the, you could say this, uh, uh, subtlest mind win becomes the substantial cause for a Buddhist omniscient mind. So there's that continuity. Okay. Yeah. But just for encouragement, on the course of our journey, there are our minds, the emptiness of the basis of designation, the sentient being's mind changes all the time, and as it gets clear and less defiled, it's moving in that direction. Yeah, right. Okay. It, but the thing is, the way our mind is, is it's not always a continuous <laughs> upward thing. You know, we would like, I mean, the, the Aryas have the stages. You go through, you know, the ten boomies. But for us, you know, in one day, in terms of virtue, non-virtue, and neutral, it's like this, you know? <laughs> so it, it's not like, oh, my virtue is building up like this, and I'm always going, having higher and higher and higher rebirths. No. You know, I mean, we just look at our mind every day and how it works. Yeah. You know, I have this issue about need of stability and predictability. <laughs> yes, we know you have that issue. <laughs> so I'm just trying to work, work yes. the system here as much as possible. The continuity continues. Okay. Which is the conventional matrix. Yeah. Yeah continuity. It's like the wood can be made into the table. When the wood is just a plank, it's called wood. When the wood is put together with other stuff, it's called table. Okay. Those have two different names, and the basis of designation is different. The plank of wood cannot be used, does not function as a table. Okay, so the but the wood, the plant can be transformed into a table. There's the, that continuity. Okay, but in the same way, if you you could look at it and say, well, the plank ceased. There's no longer a plank. Like if somebody says, oh, go get me that plank, you go out there. The, that plank is no longer there because somebody made it into a table. So you say there's no there's no plank, okay? But there's certainly the con con continuity of it. This is the level I understand that planks and tables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. At what point on the path can one make use of the subtlest mind wind at the time of death? Okay, that is. Probably, I would say, example, clear light. <laughs> that is one of the stages on the completion stage of highest yoga tantra. Yeah. So it's a pretty high realization. Yeah. Because at, the, at that time, you know, the example, clear light, is not a direct real, uh, apprehension 
of emptiness. But, yeah, it's, it's the, still this quote, quote, conceptual. It's not thinking, but it's obscured from seeing it directly. Okay? So, but from that realization, if you dive with uh, that in meditative equipoise on emptiness with the example clear light, then in the bardo, you manifest as an impure illusory body. Yeah, it's impure, but it's, wow, a whole lot better <laughs> than going into the bardo. Okay, so these are terms and concepts. You've got to read Vidit, volume 10. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any of the um, terminology of the understanding from sutra actually have a direct relationship to tantra? Like, so if someone has an inferential realization of emptiness in this life, it doesn't apply at all actually to being able to apply it at the time of death unless you are practicing highest yoga tantra. Uh, you might be able to, as in terms of ma making manifest the subtle as clear mind, no. Yeah. So this is one reason why highest yoga tantra is very important. But to really make use of it, you have to have the realization of emptiness. You can't just go in there and like, yeah, I believe in emptiness, and then do all the meditations to to make the mind subtle, but it, it can't, unless you have that realization, it can't do anything. In that verse by Nagarjuna, it says, um, attain the two bodies, Buddha bodies, generated by the collections of merit and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Does this have any correspondence with the subtle wind and subtle mind? So like the collection of merit makes the form bodies and then the w subtle wind is the form bodies. Is, are they just two separate explanations? Or? Yeah, they're, they're separate, but, but they, there are parallels there. Yeah. Because uh, when you can really activate the subtlest mind wind and make manifest an illusory body, then you can uh, create incredible amount of merit very quickly. And that's one of the factors that makes Tantra quick. Okay? Because you have that illusory body, you can create merit, you can go benefit sentient beings here, there, you can go to a pure land and make offerings, you can go to another pure land and make offerings. Okay, you can go to the hell realm and help those sentient beings. So all those different bodies that you manifest are coming, the, the substantial causes the wind. And is that illusory body related to how on the on the different boomies you like or manifest a hundred bodies, a thousand bodies, ten thousand bodies? Is in sutra, no, they talk about all those bodies. They don't talk in sutra they don't talk about the subtlest mind when. When you get into Tantra, that's where that there's that discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you've somewhat answered my question, but I want to ask it kind of in a different way. So the paths and grounds of the sutra system and the tantra system, they really don't overlap because they have a different basis that you're talking about. One has the subtlest mind and the other doesn't. Yeah. But they, are, but they, they might they, parallel. 
They, yeah, there's parallels for sure. They have the same names as Path of Accumulation, you know, the same names. But what you need to attain to get each one on Tantra is a little bit different than what and uh, what you need to have realized in Sutra. Okay, let's dedicate. <laughs> 